Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Guy Felicella. Guy is the recipient of the 2021 Courage to Come Back Award. He spent uh, 30 years in a cycle of you know, gangs and addiction and in and out of jail and treatment. Um, and now, extraordinarily, he's completely transformed his life. He's, he's nine years, uh, nearly nine years uh, sober. Uh, and the way that I got connected to Guy was uh, he purport, appeared in a movie uh, with a guy for, with called uh, Gabo Mate, um, who was, uh, he's a doctor based out of uh, Vancouver. And when I was early in my recovery, he was very inspirational uh, for me. And I understand, Guy, you've actually met him and know him, uh, which is very exciting to learn uh, before we came on air here. But Guy, welcome to the show. Richard, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's it's a great pleasure. So, I mean, my God, like, I I mean, I I had a rocky road with with alcoholism, um, but I was what you might call a functional alcoholic. Like, I kept down a corporate job throughout it all, uh, and and managed to kind of get myself uh, sober before my life had um, really taken a really significant dive. But um, you know, you went all the way down the rabbit hole, right? Yeah, I was kind of <laughs> all in at the poker table for sure. <laughs> and when did that, like, like, when did that start? Like, when did the, when did the, you know, the substance abuse start for you? Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, when I look back on my life, when I started using drugs at 12, I, I mean, you know, I, I was struggling with a lot of the issues of my home life and trauma um, and my negative self-image of myself at 12, which a lot of self-hatred, low self-esteem, low self-worth. And it really was because of the trauma that I endured in, in, in our household with, you know, abuse, violence and, and alcoholism. And so quickly. Um, when I started using drugs, you know, I looking back, I often say, you know, I, I never really used I was never a drug user socially. I was a drug user to get wasted. Like I, I'd always be that guy, you know, where I'd oh, he, he did too much. He's barfing in the back of the school, high school or uh, he's passed out. Um you know, so very early, um, I didn't drink or use drugs like other people. I just wanted to do more. And I never really realized, you know, why I wanted so much more until later on in life when I discovered that I was just trying to numb everything out because everything was so depressing. Um, and so that's really, you know where I think, you know, I never used them socially. It wasn't like I'd be the life at the party if, you know, I just wanted to get it in me quick. You know, you always know when you have an issue, when you go to a bar and you order like five shots right away and you just get those into your first and then you try to function. Okay, now I'm ready to go. It's like ready to go for what? To the bathroom and throw up because, you know, that, that's really how it started. Right. Wow. From from 12. And did you have any kind of understanding at the time that, that, that your, you know, your use was was related to what was going on in the home? 
Absolutely no connection at all. Actually, you know, I didn't get connected with that until decades later. You know, people always punished me for using drugs or looked down on me for using them or criminalized me for using them or, you know, said I was a bad person for using them. And then, you know, often they would say if his problems are all with the drugs, he's creating his own problems. He's using making a choice to use drugs. And if he stops using the drugs, his life would get better. Well, I tried that, too. Mm. You know, at a young age, I stopped using substances for I mean, I went to treatment for three months and stopped using substances. And immediately I was more depressed. Uh, But there was no connection there. And my life didn't improve. It actually got worse. And then I started using the drugs again. And so it. Like I said, it just wasn't until, um, and it's funny, it's Gabor Maté was the doctor that actually was the one later on in my life where he said, you know, are you enjoying yourself? And I've been homeless for decades now. And I, I said, God, no, this is, I'm like struggling. And he says, you know, I don't think your problems are the drugs, <clears throat> I think there's a reason why you use the drugs the way you do. But he was that first guy that popped something different in my head. And I said, well, that's what everybody's been saying my whole life. I'm, I'm the problem because I use drugs. And he, I remember him just saying, well, tell me about your childhood. And I couldn't even speak a word. I just tears started coming out of my eyes. And that's when I connected some of the dots. Yeah. That there, was, there was a lot of uh, the reason why wasn't the drugs it was just why he's using the drugs but isn't that extraordinary that it took until that stage before anybody asked you that question or asked you to reflect on your childhood i mean unbelievable like and, it was those... often go on sorry. sorry it was oftentimes i'd go into treatment and you know you obviously when you're a street drug user you do crime to support your habits and you know yeah but people would often reflect on the trauma that I'd caused others without actually talking about the trauma that was caused with me. And, you know, when you talk about the stuff that you're doing, obviously I feel good that I had to do what I had to do, but at the same time, without validating or acknowledge that, you know, the challenges that I'd had in my life, this started that cycle of triggering the trauma from the past while I was in treatment. So I would leave treatment to go numb myself because I felt like a a scumbag. Right. So that was the focus on the treatment. It was trying to have you look at how you were harming others, not how you were harmed. Yeah. And and you know what? It takes, in three months, you're not even going to scratch the surface on the trauma that... You've gone through. And if, if substance use disorder or addiction is the root cause of trauma, then we just don't do nearly enough to start with addressing people's trauma for, for them to receive the help and support they need. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that's absolutely right. And, I, and for me, what, one of the purposes of this show is to encourage a trauma aware world. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, it sounds like you, you just experienced, uh, you know, decades of, of a, of a suppose of a support system that was just simply not trauma aware. 
Yeah. And two, being trauma informed is one thing that doesn't address trauma. Yeah. 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 And so what, you know, I, I'm sure there's a ton of juicy stories from that time on the streets, but I'm just like immediately interested in like, when did the, when, so you had that initial conversation with Garbo Mate, you, you started to cry, right? And then, and then how did it progress from there? Like, that sounds like the beginning of you beginning, you know, comprehending that there was something back there you hadn't been looking at. How did, how did it unfold from there? Yeah, well, it definitely made me, it definitely made me think, you know, and, and then, too, I was diagnosed with ADHD um, and uh, a mild comprehension disorder similar to dyslexia. And, um, you know, I just always felt that I was stupid. You're never going to share with people that you actually feel that way inside, right? But, you know, you could have a conversation with me and I honestly couldn't put connect the dots sometimes. I would just nod in agreement, but I wouldn't know. I couldn't filter the information. And when I was diagnosed, that kind of connected the dots too as well, because I remember sharing with the specialist that I just often felt stupid my whole life. And uh, and her response was, no, uh, you're actually, you've, you've gone through this with no support for decades. Um, and, you know, it's, it's pretty evident to me of why you would use drugs. There's no support there for the underlying issues. And, you know, I think, you know, trauma has just kind of followed my life. Like, you know, at the age of 14, I was made a ward of the courts, which meant, you know, my mom went to court and gave me up to the province, you know, at 14, when you actually, mm. you know, at 14 years old, you don't really understand what that meant. I didn't understand what ward of the court meant. I remember the probation officer explaining to me that you would not be allowed to go back home and live there anymore. It was basically oh, the abandonment <laughs> My And then my mom blamed all the issues that were happening inside the household on me. So if you're 14 and you're actually, you're carrying a heavy burden of believing that the reason why mom, dad, and everybody else in that household is the way it is, is because of me. And that was, that was the crushing moment um, in my life where, you know, where people often said, you know, hey, he's a bad guy. Um, he does things that aren't good. And I, you know, when you're often told that you're going to be, you're the bad guy, you're going to show him the bad guy. And I did, you know, I, I really developed a tremendous amount of anger towards and resentment towards my mom for that. And it took me a long time to actually let that go. Um, but at 14, it was crippling. And that's when my journey dove headfirst into heavy substance use. Right. So it started at 12 and then accelerated at 14 when, when you were made. And then, uh, and, and then you know, I, I tried many times to get, you know, my life together even after that. And I would have some moments of sobriety, you know, had a relationship with a beautiful girl. You know, was living together, trying to do things in society that were somewhat, you know, 
the social norm, but deep inside, I just had this tremendous amount of sadness and pain, unaddressed trauma. And so I'd start using drugs and everybody's life that I came into or they came into mine. I literally, I burnt it down to the ground. You know, I didn't, you know, burn bridges. I blew them up. And, yeah. you know, I just can't, I was like a tornado. It was almost like, you know, nobody should be around me because bad things do happen, you know? And so, you know, you, 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 you reflect back on that and the trauma that was never addressed or went unaddressed was really the deep rooted stuff that was very painful for me to try to function normally in society like everybody else. I just had to use drugs to function. Yeah. Yeah. And on oh, that makes complete sense. If you, if you, that, that pain is constant, you know, and this is the misconception with trauma. It's somehow, you know, it happened. And, and what's that injunction? I leave, leave the past in the past, you know, let yeah. bygones be bygones. Well, the body can't do that. Physiologically, yeah. we're incapable of doing that. It's in us. It's yeah. In us. And, and, and one yeah. thing with trauma is that the human body can only absorb so much of it, whether it's physically or mentally. Before, it, if you don't get it addressed, it will come out and impact you negatively. Mm. And, and, that, and, and that helped happen in my life but when you're not developed any coping mechanisms as a young child and you have a verbal assault of abuse not only from others but from yourself i i i mean listen that that in itself i'd often say this to people i would rather be punched in the face and beaten up than the verbal assault from others because that was the part that just i could never get over yeah yeah. Yeah. Well, you can dust yourself off to some extent after a physical beating, but you know that if that if that internal you know monologue just just goes on and on and on and on, the bru- bruises can heal. But if if you know if the self verbal self attacks on the inside continue, it's it's you can't escape. It. It's it's yeah. ruthless and it's relentless. Like you know, I just needed to, I needed the volume in my head to turn down. And drugs did that. You know, when it's screaming on a 10, if I can get it down to two, then it's manageable. But, but you see, there was no getting the volume would completely go back up again. And you just keep going back and forth. You're not, it's not like it doesn't address or change anything. Also, what it does is gives you the ability for a moment to actually be free from it. But then at the same time, everybody else in society is looking at you like a piece of garbage because you're using these drugs, but don't understand the reasons why you're using them. They just think you're a piece of garbage because you're out there breaking the law every day. You know, but they they don't get the fact like the hey, I'm a I'm a human being dying inside. And believe me, you pointing fingers at me doesn't help me. My negative voice, you don't have to point fingers at me. I already have a voice in my head that's crippling. I don't need yeah. any more from, you know, society's peanut gallery. 
when you haven't walked a moment in my shoes, because if you did, you'd probably be doing the exact same thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Or maybe I mean, worse. You might have just ended your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you're just doing what's natural, right? You know, we're all, we're all seeking to move out of pain. And, and, and drugs or alcohol or other ways of acting out with it. The ways that we can do it is a perfectly, you know, natural, logical response to what what you're feeling inside. Um, in the absence of any knowledge that there's there's a way to address these issues at a much deeper level, and that's possible. <laughs> and it sounds like you 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 started to get into that um, late, but you did. Yeah. And 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 so how did that go after you? So you you cried in with with Gabamata and then. And then did that just give you enough of an insight to think, okay, maybe there's more I need to do here? Yeah, you know, you kind of like you're kind of being like an investigator on a on a case file, right? Let's do some digging and some investigating and, you know, start reflecting on things in the past as well. That that moment, you know, it still took about another six, seven years of using substances, but I had, I had the pieces together, but as the same time that you're struggling with trauma, the same, the consequences of my drug use were also evident. I mean, you think about it, you know, surviving 20 years of being homeless, surviving five osteomyelitis bone infections, four in my left leg, one in my back where I had to learn how to walk again. And these aren't just, you know, you're, go get some antibiotics and the infection goes away. No, these are like multiple months in a hospital with antibiotics driven into your heart every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for about 90 days. And then surviving, you know, the first dueling public health emergency, which was the HIV AIDS crisis in the downtown east side and the first overdose crisis where one in four in that community were impacted by HIV or AIDS. And then also surviving, you know, six overdoses from 2012 to 2013 um, in a nine month time frame really put everything into context with what I had learned and under- and discovered from my past. And then it just all compounded into one moment on February 18th, 2013, where my last overdose happened at a supervised injection site. And I was dead for like seven minutes. I think it took them about nine minutes to bring me back. Um, And I remember when I woke up and I looked to the left and the nurse was crying because she thought I wasn't going to come out of it. And I remember just saying to her, it's like, why are you crying? And she said, because I care. And then I just started bawling. And, um, And that moment, that one moment there, I knew I had to do something different. At that one second um, where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And everything that I had learned 
from the years past from Gabor and others and learning disabilities, all that stuff gave me enough awareness to understand, okay, the same drugs that were once helping me function through life are now the same drugs trying to end my life. And I, one has to give. And for me, it was making the move to, to get out. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a rock bomb, isn't it? Death. Yeah. There's no coming back. And it was after that, which is to think like I was on welfare from 16 to 45. I was 43 when I left, but I left that downtown East side with one set of clothes on my back and a welfare check and went to a transitional house, basically a recovery house in Surrey, which is just outside of Vancouver and went to an outpatient program for a year. And it, I, luckily for me, the caseworker there that I was supposed to get was on maternity leave. And so they brought in this counselor who was also a trauma counselor. Yeah. And the journey began with her um, where I had basically access to trauma counseling for like a year straight. Right. And she she just really was probably the most, uh, you know, when I reflect back on the people and moments in my life, um, you know, she probably doesn't, you know, she was just doing what she does. But but that that specific person um, is really the the biggest part, the foundation of me understanding me and moving forward to the life that I have today. And she only played a part in my life for about nine and a half months until the new counselor came back. And and the new counselor, that, the counselor that came back, she was great too to finish it off. But I tell you that, that woman um, really helped change my life. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an absolute world of difference, isn't there? At, between working at the trauma level and at that depth um, than any other form of counseling in my experience. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just life, life changing for me. I mean, I mm. tried it so many ways, you know, and with your negative self image, when you go do recovery and you can't do it, you know what I used to say to myself, man, I can't even do this right. Like I can't even do what everybody else says is easy. This is freaking impossible. I can't stop. All all the attempts at treatment, you know, I was probably really good at doing treatment. I just wasn't good at doing life. Hmm. You know, and in the end, it really, once I discovered that there was, you know, for me, I was holding on to a lot of resentment, a lot of anger. I'm drinking poison and expecting it to kill everybody else. And I tell you, I was holding on to that. And it's weird and strange often how you'll hold on to something that's so ugly because it's familiar and it's comforting, but it's killing you. You won't let it go. It almost feels like it's like all you got. I can't let this go. 
Yeah. And we'd, we'd rather, you know, suffer, right, over the long term than, than to feel any of that acute pain that's deep down, right? Uh, yeah. And- uh, no, I'm just going to suffer another 10 years doing this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you there know. are people in my immediate family who died, alcoholics. You know, they, they went their whole, their whole life suffering in alcoholism and, and not once were they prepared to, you know, to lift the veil and ask the question, why, why am I drinking like this? Um, but it sounds like that, that count, well, it started with that realization with, with Garbo and then this, this counselor. So I'm intrigued. How, how did she work with you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was uh, there was groups. Obviously, there was groups, but there was the one on one was was really good. And she made herself available. And I, you know what, I think she realized early on, like, you know, uh, when I started to open up to her. uh, She realized early on, like, hey, this is this is a guy that's going to need some some support here. And she was just there to be supportive. So I could walk into her office and, you know, if I was having a frustrating day, I could I could rant and get angry and and then she would bring me back to like you know like is it really this person or is it something that's triggered you from your past? I'd be like I don't know so, well who does that person remind you of and I was like oh you know you start reflecting on that and I was like yeah probably like my mom maybe my dad maybe my sister maybe the bully at the high school you know, it's not, and she would, she was just very good at <clears throat> guiding me and then making me see the other side of things too. You know, I'm sharing my story, but I don't know the story of the other person as well. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, when you're a person struggling with trauma, you'll pass on that trauma, hmm. you know, and it's, it's very interesting that, um, it became it became something I could no longer hold on to. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just I just made a promise that I'm just gonna do some good, man. I don't. I'm just gonna try. And you know what? I I mean, dramatically, how you have to change things. You know what? I used to swear like a sailor. Every second word used to be a swear word. And I remember her saying to me, you know. You've said the F bomb 35 times. I really don't even know what part of the story we're at. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I probably swear too much. And she said, yeah, but you know, you can work on that. And I said, you know what? I want to work on that. Cause she said, guy, you're, she, she would say, guy, you're very articulate when you want to talk, but when you get angry, you're, you're very angry. <laughs> and it comes out and I was like, yeah, I'm going to work on that. And I, I, I swear I stopped swearing completely for, you know, maybe every once in a while I might, one might slip out here and there, but somebody, and I often say, you know, oftentimes when you're, when you're on the journey, I'm like, does anybody really know that I don't swear? But it was funny. I, one day I said that to myself. And then later on that evening, while I was at work, um, I was working at a treatment industry place um, and uh, one of the clients came up to me and they go, and they'd been there for about nine months. Um, and this was a long-term uh, treatment place. And he was like, I've never heard you swear. Is there a reason? And I was like, well, you're the first person that's ever said that to me. I go, yeah, no. And I actually told him, I said, yeah, I said, I swore so much in my life. I just had to kind of, 
And they were like, yeah, man, I'm going to try that too. And I, I was blown away by it because I don't think really, you know, often think people don't really pay much attention, but some do, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 She, she and, and this woman, she sounds, so she's, it's, it's as if she's doing two things. She's helping you just step back into your past. And she's, she's kind of being a champion at the time, the same time, allowing you to see a version of yourself that's, um, you know, that's more positive and, and, and that may not be easy for you to, to grasp onto. Is it something like that? Most definitely. She used to say when she would give me a compliment, like she would actually stop and say, this is where you say, thank you. I've given you a compliment. Now you have to say, thank you. And I'm like, well, I mean, and she's no, no, no. You have to accept that compliment. Why don't, why, why are you not willing to accept it? And I used to just think, oh, I'm embarrassed. And, and it feels, it just doesn't feel right. Because I believe for so long what other people had said. Yeah. And, and she says, no. I remember her because she had a, you know, my court proceeding files and everything. Like, you know what I mean? Like a big stack. <laughs> and this is what she did one day. She said, this is your whole life in institutions. And um, she picked it up and she threw it in the garbage. And then she got a new file and she opened it up and she put one piece of paper in and she wrote, Guy has a new outlook on life. He is a changed man. The past doesn't reflect the man sitting in the chair next to me today. Mm. Man, did that, I was just like, unbelievable. When she, and she threw that in the garbage. And she says, that's where it's going. This is it. Leave that there. It's gone. It's not you. And it was almost like like freedom. Where somebody, I had realized that the comments that now she was saying were, were, were true. Like I believed. Because she believed. Yeah. You believe because she believed. She she held a belief just long enough, right? <laughs> that you could yeah. kind of reach out and grab it. And once I started to believe, man, oh man, did things change. You know, from a guy that never had a job from the age of 16 until pretty much 45. Like nothing. You know, and then somebody hired me to work with others. <laughs> you know, 
which really made me, which really made me just like, you want to pay me to do what I already do? Yeah, yeah, we want to pay you. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Right, right. And so there's this duality here, right? So you're building your identity around a new set of beliefs, but, but you're still prepared to go back and look at the past and, you know, how's this guy or girl that's triggering me? How is, you know, how is she a reflection of my past? What's this, you know, how's this familiar? So, so how does that balance work? Like, did you tend to focus more on, you know, looking back and resolving that stuff? Or do you, did you tend to sort of build more around the belief? Yeah, maybe a little bit of both, <laughs> you know, um, where I really got success on the past was with um, EMDR therapy. So reprocessing um, the brain of the past trauma, dealing with the deep-rooted emotional triggers, um, and then letting it go um, was the ability um, for me to actually move forward with the future. And believe me, Ed, this doesn't go lightly to say that there's a lot of the times too, you know, um, my own mother doesn't agree with me talking about what happened. Mm. You know, I mean, literally uh, to the point where um, my sister had to call me and say, you have to go and talk to her. And I did. I met her up for coffee and we talked and basically continued to blame me for the past. You were a bad kid. You wouldn't go to school. You wouldn't listen to me. Didn't talk about any of the issues. This is why this happened, you know, and I had learned so much. It's kind of like standing up against that kryptonite and saying, absolutely, you're not going to gaslight me. And oftentimes she would say, well, look at your brother and your sister. They're very successful people. I said, yeah, that's great. But trauma impacts people different. Just because those two turned out to do well in society doesn't mean that what happened to me shouldn't be validated. And we were going back and forth in this conversation. And I just stopped her and I just said, mom, listen. If what happened to me was happening today, you'd both be in prison. And she just started to cry. And I just said, I don't blame you. I understand you had to protect yourself and protect us and you had a lot going on, but at the same time, I'm moving forward. You know, don't tell me how I remember certain instances or how I should have remembered them. Really what my mom was trying to say is that she's just very angry that I I'm outspoken about it. And I said, I don't do it to put any pressure on you. She says, yeah, but people now know. I said, but they already knew anyway. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, and um, 
So we have uh, a surface relationship, basically. Yeah. And it's it's really the differences is that I've changed. And unfortunately, she hasn't. And um, still, still the, you know, the same person that cares more about what other people think, you know, the social status in society than kind of having the humility to accept help. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's so courageous, you know, you're challenging her like that. And you've made my, my, my. My wife heard a conversation on the phone. And um, another time she heard a conversation on the phone and she just said, wow. Like you would not accept what she was saying. And whereas before I would have, I would have just rolled over and accepted that I was a loser and I deserved everything that I'd got. And I just wouldn't accept it. And... um, you know, my wife said, she says, man, that she just said, I wish I could stand up like that. And I said, well, it just it takes time and awareness. I think one of the most interesting things about me, when my wife became pregnant with our first child, I was deathly afraid that I would repeat the cycle. I mean, I think there's no, there's no more fear in my life at that moment when she told me that she was pregnant. I thought immediately, like, I really have to do some heavy lifting here. And the great thing that's happened is this, is the discovery of my newfound life, but the childhood that I had lost due to trauma is now I'm reliving the childhood that I should have had through my own kids. Hmm. And it's kind of like that circle where you get back there and it feels so innocent again and beautiful. And I, you know, Christmas, especially around this time, was a very lonely time for me for many years. And now having a family and three young children and seeing the joy on their faces, man, Christmas is okay again. Wow. Yeah. 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 And I can imagine when, when you're homeless, looking at families, that must have seemed like an impossibility. I mean, you just, let alone, I didn't even think that, you know, I honestly, I didn't even think I could ever have children after all the drugs that I, I mean, I didn't think that was a reality. (laughs) Like, you know, and just the, the, the stuff that I'd had to live through for my whole life and, and to get to where it is today, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. An absolute testament to the, to the self-healing power of the human body. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people, I've had this conversation with people where I've reflected on my own trauma work. 
and you know, I remember really vividly a conversation with one girl and she's like, Oh God, but if I start looking at my past, it's going to be like one of those um, Russian dolls, right? I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to lift one and there's going to be another one and there's going to be another one. And I think for some people, they feel so overwhelmed by it. They just won't take that first step. And yet this, our bodies can, can do it. It's, it's tough and it can feel overwhelming at times. But it's entirely possible for us to go through a self-healing process to recover you know, ourselves, especially with the help of a good guide, which you obviously found early on there. Uh, and and your, your, your story is testament to it. You, you, you can absolutely recover it all. 100%. I mean, listen, you know, barring being 52 now, and you know, I walk with a limp, may have a little sore body parts here and there. But even doctors and medical science just marvel. They're just shocked. Like, well, first off, that you're alive. But secondly, that you actually, you know, have a leg. Four osteomyelitis bone infections in your left leg is, and you're just lucky to, I'm actually, you know, to have a leg. Because um, they were going to amputate that leg at one point where they just said to me, like, you, I was going into surgery and they were trying to clean the infection out of the bones. They said, this is the last the antibiotics don't always, um, you know, work. Um, your body, because I've had so many bone infections, can become immune to the antibiotics, which is usually a switch up. But the surgeon just said to me, like, hey, I'm just preparing you that it is all possible that you wake up without a leg. And I just said to him, look, just if you could do anything to just play. and he goes, oh no, my my first priority is to make sure that I just wanted to prepare you. And when I woke up, I was like, oh, I could feel my leg. I was just like, oh, this, thank God. Um, you know, I think what impacted my journey the most too is that you know people you always remember how people made you feel, and um. You know, I just reflected on not so much the people that treated me bad, but I reflected more on the people that treated me good and mm. and try to, you know, just pay that forward. There's two things you can pay for. You can either pay for trauma or you can pay for kindness. Um, but you have to resolve the trauma in order to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's right. You can't sort of stick kindness on top of being traumatized right like i yeah. think that i think that's what we get wrong in society this thought that you know just by like exercising certain affirmations or or, or engaging in certain behaviors we can kind of cancel the trauma but it doesn't work like that you've got you've got to like you can do that but you've got to do both and it sounds yeah. like what you've done you've got to do both at the same time you've got to reach for these new beliefs take on these build up new identities whilst addressing the trauma, but one without the other isn't going to work. Yeah. I think one of the things too, about uh, acting kindness is kindness is action. Mm. Right. You, you gotta, you gotta, to, to be kind, you gotta do kind. <laughs> like one of the, one of the, you know, like just, you can't just say I'm going to be kind today to everybody. It's like, well, you got to actually act that out. Right. Uh, and, and a lot of the times, one of the, things I would always do is uh, anytime I could open the door for somebody, I'd run ahead of them and open the door. 
you know, it's that action and that practice that really starts to 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 shift things for you. It's like yeah. not not only am I going to say I'm going to be kind, I'm actually going to do kind works. And I think one of the biggest impacts in my life is is paying it forward. Man, is that it? Just feels good. Yeah. You know, yeah. but at the same time, you have to resolve a lot of the the issues. Yeah. That that you've struggled with for so long, because I think change happens in a moment. I think anybody that has the desire or the willingness to change that part change is like immediate, <clears throat> but <clears throat> the process is changing the circumstances and applying action to the change. You've made the decision that you're going, you've got to change that you want to change. That happens immediately, but the process of changing is the work. And that takes, that's a journey and that takes time. Yeah. And then the process comes, catches up with the, the moment. <laughs> yes, it and once they it. hit to get, once they collide, boom, on the same immediate impact together, I tell you. You are a changed person. Yeah, yeah. And for those for those listening on the, on the trauma processing side of it, you mentioned the term EMDR. Um, and so, for people who are not familiar with that, could you talk a little bit about you know what that is and, and how you've used it? Yeah, very strange. You know, when I when I people always ask like, "What is EMDR?" and I'm like, "Yeah, it's." What is EMDR? <laughs> it, it's, uh, so it's, you can do it with a light. So it's like a beam that'll go back and forth and you follow the beam and you have your trauma therapist there and you pick a moment, one of probably, you know, one of the most traumatic moments in your life and you just follow this light back and forth and they stop you. And what it does is, I don't know how it does it, but. It, what it does is it reprocesses the, the brain. The, the event occurred, but what makes it so it's toned down a lot. Um, and you can do it through rapid eye uh, movement, or you can do it with vibration of the hands, or you can do it with sound as well. And it's basically like it beeps in each ear or it vibrates in, in each hand, these two hand devices that you have. But I always found the success with the eye movement. Um, where I just felt like some of the stuff that we were dealing with in my past and we did the one where I was 14 and my mom made me the ward of the court and that was the one that um, it, it took a few sessions where I was just able to you know talk about it without getting like you know the pit of your stomach where it's like tenses up and it's like now when I talk about it I'm just like yeah right. it's not a, not a big not a not a not a major impact anymore that's where and even my my wife said when I was doing trauma uh, EMDR she I came home one day from therapy and she said uh, did you why are your eyes so clear? And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, well, what'd you do? Did you go to counseling? And I was like, yeah. <clears throat> and I go, I did that uh, EMDR. And she goes, man, your eyes look clear. 
It's almost like it was just cleaning out the cloudiness. <clears throat> That's how I kind of describe what um, EMDR does is it just gives you the ability to move forward. And then when it, you're not, it's honestly, it's like, I look back now when I think about it, I was just like, man, we hold stuff for so long. And I look back and just think, wow, that was like the pit of my stomach would, you know, get so tight and negative. My head, I get a headache. And now it's just, yeah, I could talk about it and feel, feel the resolve. And, but it's a great, that in the tandem with trauma therapy, like doing, going back and forth and doing both, like having a talking session or a, I think with EMDR, you have to do multiple of them in the beginning to get it going, to start continuing with the reprocessing and then you can go into the conversations as well and that combination has really just shaped my life to what it is today more awareness you have of yourself and understanding of what triggered you from your past the better off you're going to be in the future and the better off you're going to be that you won't pass that on to others yeah yeah which is which is very important like it's not okay to pass on trauma like, yeah. you know, that, that is not, you know, that is one of the things that I'd done my whole life, but that kept me trapped in trauma. Hmm. You know, like reliving the sickness over and over and over again and never breaking free from it. And it, and it wasn't until <clears throat> I started to deal with that, that I had the ability not to pass it on. And unfortunately that's what happens in our society is we just pass on generational trauma to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And and somebody has to be, and I understand, look, my dad didn't have the ability to do it. He didn't have the ability to break the chains. My mom didn't have the ability to do it either. My sister didn't have the ability to do it. My brother didn't have the ability to do it. It had to be, I had to do it. I had to stop passing, letting this go further into my child's future, my family's future, or anybody else's future. And that's where I think a lot of people will struggle because that is painful. You're not just dealing with your trauma. You're dealing with all of its history from where it started. And that's kind of like trying to hold a big boulder sliding down a mountain by yourself. But I tell you, the awareness and the freedom that that brings the future generations of your bloodline. Life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just your blood child. By, by sharing this story, you're giving inspiration to, to millions of others to do it in, in their lives. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm interested as well about that because because for people the reason I'm asking these questions is for people who who are at that point where they're like okay but how do we do this right so we've talked about yeah. EMDR and you're 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 taking specific scenes right and you're and you're going back to those moments and you're and you're reprocessing them you also mentioned um, trauma therapy as well as the so what what's the distinction there and then how does trauma therapy work 
Yeah, you just really, basically, it's a guide. You have somebody that guides you, kind of like, you know, if you ever watch Star Wars, you know, like, you know, the Jedi, <laughs> you know, somebody just training you through the process. And uh, it's not, listen, it's a journey. I'm still going to trauma therapy. I actually have a session this Friday, so I still go. Like, it's just, it's uh, ongoing. Now it's more on the maintenance side of things. The heavy lifting's been done, and now it's the maintenance part. So, yes, there is heavy lifting. Um, and it isn't easy. Um, and there's there's days where, you know, emotionally, you're just drained. I've sometimes gone to trauma therapy, and after I've gone, I come home, I've slept for, like, 14 hours. Yeah, that's I, 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 I trauma, trauma is one of those things, too, that will repeat itself. You know, I, I tell you... An interesting thing about trauma is that so every month here, I don't know how it is in, in England, but every month here, like I was on welfare my whole life. And so every month you get a welfare check, which is like 600 bucks. But I used to spend the whole check on my drugs. And um, years later, when I was in my recovery and I was <clears throat> on my journey, once a month, I could not sleep. I couldn't figure it out for a long time. Every month, month after month, year after year, there'd be one day out of the month that I would. And it was interesting because my wife works for poverty reduction, which is the same place that used to give me the check. And, and, and I was, my wife's like, are you going to, why are you going to sleep? I was like, I, I can't sleep. I'm just amped up. She goes, well, I got to go to sleep. Tomorrow's uh, check day. And I'm going to have a busy day at work. Boom. The light went on in my head. I was like, oh, check day. Even though I don't get a check. That anxiety inside and trauma from being so entrenched in my addiction, I was so amped up the night before every, every welfare check day. Mm. And uh, that discovery gives you the ability to deal with it and be like, well, I don't get welfare anymore. And I, but it really made me reflect on just how much our past can impact our future if we don't deal with it. Yeah, and it's kind of just like where people are looking for, you know, or wanting to deal with trauma in their lives. I, I, I want to say this, too, is listen, go slow. It's not a race. You're not going to repair 30, 50 or 10 years of damage. In one session, it, it's a like a slow pace. And give yourself the freedom to understand who you are. And don't beat yourself up when you feel like, you know, it's too hard. If it's too hard, my counselor would always say, listen, if it's too hard, we can, let's just make sure you're okay. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, life is a journey. You're not going to hey, listen. Are we racing to get to the end? No, we're, we're trying to slow it down as much as possible. So remember that when you're going through trauma, 
like, hey, I ain't running to the end of the line. <laughs> like, it's not a race to death. It's just to take it slow. Wait, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's so important, isn't it? Um, it reminds me of a, of a phrase in, in the 12-step rooms when I was, you know, active in those, you know, it takes 10 years uh, to get your marbles back and another 10 years to learn how to play with. <laughs> <laughs> and that really helped in the beginning because it's like, oh, okay, we, we're measuring our, because you think in, in jobs and, you know, general life, you know, we tend to measure progress in like weeks and months, but like, oh, okay. Like decades is like a good way to think about progress, right? Yeah. And don't listen. One of the things that I've learned on this journey is <clears throat> you can look to others for inspiration. Don't compare yourself with others because there's never going to be a better version of them. And there's never going to be a better version of you. Just be you. Mm -hmm. Comparing yourself to somebody else's version. You're never going to be better than that. But your own version of your own, your own self, unique self. Is is you. There's never going to be a better version of you. Yeah. Yeah. Because if yeah. you always compare yourself with other people, you'll fall, you'll fail. You're trying to be something that you're not. And when you do that, you'll actually sacrifice things that you want or things that you thought you needed for the things that you don't need. And that won't bring happiness either. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that becoming self-referential in that way is, is such an important part of this. It's like, well, what's the progress I'm going to make today? Like, you know, counting my own achievements in my own life. And it's, it's so easy to, to compare. Um, but developing these practices where I keep coming back to my, you know, my own experience of life. Yeah. That's so important, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, <laughs> this is just such powerful stuff. It's such, it's such powerful stuff. So, so right now your maintenance, you've got, you've got the emotional therapy that you're sorry, the trauma therapy you're doing on, on, on a maintenance basis. Is there, is there anything else you do for sort of maintenance of your, of your continued growth and healing? Yeah, I think just, you know, human connection is a big, big part of it. You know, getting out, seeing people, um, you know, connecting with others, you know, helping people is a big thing in my life. You know, um, I honestly don't, I, 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 I can absorb people's pain, feel it. You know, I can see people struggling. And so a lot of it for me is just trying to, you know, be that person that tries to alleviate some of that, um, pressure by just being kind to others and trying to do something or navigate a service for them. Or, you know, a lot of people call me for just different reasons. Um, I just try to guide them on the, the path. I'm basically, you know, I, I just say to people, I'm just like a taxi driver. You're the one on the journey. I'll just, you know, I'll get in the taxi and let's go on a journey. I'll drop you off and, and uh, pick you up and, you know, we'll continue the journey. Right. You know, and I, you know, I think people, uh, oftentimes we, I, I think people figure it out for themselves. They just need the support to figure it out. 
And if you give people that support, then they will figure it out instead of being judgmental or trying to, you know, fix a person. I yeah. think that doesn't work. I think people fix themselves or figure out what's the issues and then they fix the circumstances. It's not so much that the person needs to be fixed. A lot of the circumstances need to change um, as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think that's a, that's, that's a huge part of a mindset shift that I think we need to go through as a, as a society to enable this healing is like people can heal themselves. They can, they can, we, we, we just need to guide them and we've got to get over this idea that, you know, it's up to us to give people solutions or to tell them how to be or what to do. Uh, yeah, we, we can be there for them as they figure it out themselves. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and something I'm really getting clearly out of this, and there's something I, I have to be completely honest here, I've not put a great deal of focus on on my own recovery, and that's this doing, being kind, rather doing kind. Um, but that's coming through loud and clear, like in your messages, like that's a huge part of, you know, your journey here. And it's like a massive reminder for me. Um, yeah, be, don't be kind, do kind. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember I went in a session with a Buddhist once and he got us out to go, go, go out into the street and pay people compliments and give them, give, give them flowers. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just remember that night. It's like, I still remember that night, like 15 years later, just how great I felt. Like, yeah, we're doing guerrilla kindness. It was, um, yeah, to, to, but to develop that as a practice, like I can see what a difference it would make to my life if I really took that on, like, as a conscious, yeah. like, okay, do guide every day. Yeah, it's, it takes a lot of energy to be negative. Mm. Really doesn't take that much to be positive. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, a lot more goes into being angry. Oh, it's like, am I going to sore neck, back, leg? You know, it's like, oh, this is not happening. Stomach ache, you know, blood pressure. I mean, it's a lot of work to go in to be negative all day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tense. Yeah. It's very tense. You know, it's like, that's, hey, that's, relax. Relax. The and kind. I think oftentimes relax. what happens with trauma is trauma buries the stuff that you used to love. Like one of the things I used to, uh, you know, you get wrapped up in addiction and trauma. It takes away the stuff that you used to enjoy I used I uh, for so long I used so much drugs I didn't even realize that I used to I used to enjoy watching sports. And I remember one time I was walking by a storefront and they had the Super Bowl on. And I'd stopped and I looked and I was like, "Oh wow." And I stood there like kind of memorized at this TV for about 5 minutes, just watching a couple of plays and I was like, "Man, I used to remember I used to watch that." Like Sunday used to be a ritual. I watch football on Sunday and, you know, drugs and trauma took that away. And, but you can find that again. Yeah. Kind of like reaching in. Yeah. You have to, you have to discover what you used to once enjoy because a lot of the times we bury that through drugs, alcohol, and, and, you know, the root cause of that trauma and suppressing that we're spent so much time trying to keep the trauma away that we lose the things that we loved. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of learn how to get high at the expense of, uh, of, of feeling joy. I mean, they're, they're so different, aren't they? Yeah. And it's that artificial high. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because it's not, it's not a reality. It's not a real, it's artificial. Anything artificial is kind of like it, that goes away. Yeah. It's got to be something where you look instead of having that artificial um, high where you could just be high. Yeah. You know, and, and too, uh, also too, I've discovered too, so don't get too high. Just don't get too low. Yeah. There's, there's moments where you get that, that endorphin rush. And like anything, you have to remember that it's going to come down. Mm. Like, you know, imagine, I don't even know if I look back, if I did drugs and it never came down. Like, could you handle that? (laughs) You know what I mean? Just like, that's it. You're there. You're not coming back. It's like, no. I don't know. I don't know any drug user that would say, yeah, I just want to stay high. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah. no, because of it, that that would be that then that wouldn't be enough eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just got to return to this ability to connect into our feelings and just honor them, whatever they are. Right? If it's sadness, if it's yeah. anger, if it's fear, if it's if it's joy, it's, it's it's learning to embrace all of them. Yeah, and it's and it's okay to be angry, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the paradox here. It's like, in certainly my recovery, it's the more I've learned to embrace anger, acknowledge it, understand its origins, like be in it the user it's become over time to like let it go and, and dissipate it yeah yeah i agree um, yeah yeah fabulous well i could i could talk to you um god you know <laughs> i'm sure we could talk for hours but talking about being kind um I, I it's getting on here and i know my partner will appreciate me get getting home to help with the boys so oh yeah. wonderful stuff thank you guy um you know, I, I hope this resonates with some people out there and uh, it, it gives them some, uh, some, some inspiration to do, do the work themselves. Um, and you've certainly inspired, you know, inspired me to, you know, probably expand some areas where I could probably be, you know, do it, doing more work around the, around the kindness, especially. Yeah. I think we can all do better and be better as people. I just think we have to for future generations and yeah, thanks for having me on and much appreciated my friend. Yeah, no, thank you. And and I know that you 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 offer your services as a speaker. Um and uh yeah, so we've got the um guyfellacella.com. Um we'll put we'll put a link to that. That's guy and the fellacella is F E L I C E double L A dot com. That's guy F E L I C E double L A dot com. Um, yeah, for anybody out there who's uh interested in 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 taking you on as a, as a speaker yeah and they can also to um my twitter is just at guy fellacella if anybody can reach out there too my dms are open as well so brilliant awesome well thank you once again what a wonderful conversation really appreciate it guy and um yeah yeah good luck with the rest of the journey i mean yeah thanks like kids. Well, you too man keep in All touch right. I will. All right. Thanks so much. Cheers. Bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.